0: is an influential and eloquent description of the uniqueness of Sabbath. And I'm going to quote a couple of things from Rabbi Heschel. To Rabbi Heschel, the Sabbath is a foretaste of paradise. And each Sabbath should help to prepare us for paradise. He says, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. And I'm going to talk about the taste of Sabbath today. He also said, The Sabbath is the presence of God in the world open to the soul of man. We repeat that. The Sabbath is the presence of God in the world open to the soul of man. I recommend this little book, it's a, it's a wonderful little book. Among his most helpful ideas is the contrast between the world of space and that of time. In space and the things of space, men live and uh, uh, accomplish things and achieve progress. But God is not a thing or an object located in space. This is why we have the Sabbath. The things of space are at the mercy of man, writes Rabbi Heschel. These things can include what we might consider sacred spaces such as temples and images which can be made such as icons or idols. However, to Heschel, a God who can be fashioned, a God who can be confined, is but a shadow of man. Uh, Therefore, uh, a temple in time, or as he calls it, a cathedral in time, is not subject to idolatry. It's not an idol. It transcends any effort to uh, confine God, to keep God in a box, to confine him in space, or to turn God into a thing. And that's what idols are, are things I felt to represent God. But they, they, don't, uh, they don't contain God. I would say that for many, the taste of Sabbath, as Rabbi Heschel talks about it, has been lost, sadly. I think for many, instead of, instead of being a blessing, as a Sabbath should be, for many it's become a burden, an obligation, or an arbitrary command. Its meaning, I think, for many has been forgotten and the day overgrown with what I would call cultural weeds. Somehow this treasure, which it should be a treasure, has slipped away from from many of us. And I've observed that Sabbath is often the first casualty of those who leave their Christian faith or their Adventist faith. For others it may be nominally observed, but is often regarded as outmoded and archaic in our noisy digital world of instant news, instant messaging, instant and continuous demands on our time and attention. And I think this is why we need the Sabbath. Relief from this noisy, restless, hyperactive culture of ours is one of the many reasons I think we need to rethink and restore the Sabbath. And that's why we're here today. For me the word Sabbath is not just a noun. I grew up thinking of the word as also an adjective. For, for example, in considering what to wear for this service, I thought I should wear a Sabbath suit. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Before the age of wearing t-shirts to church and flip-flops and suits to basketball games, yeah. it was thought that a Sabbath suit should be a good suit. Or it might be your only suit. It might be your best suit. So I grew up being reminded about sabbath clothing, sabbath music, and sabbath appropriate activities. These terms suggest that this adjective sabbath confers a specialness, an elevated quality appropriate to this special day God has given us. For example to me sabbath music means uh, music that nourishes awe, a sense of majesty, a sense of the transcendent. Uh, that 's what Sabbath music should be is similar to the reason that cathedrals are tall, church spires point upward, they point heavenward and give us perspective, I think on the earthly. well, thinking about the significance of Sabbath and time recalls an old riddle. some of you may remember this uh, the setting was a mortal encounter between. A man named Bilbo Baggins, hero of the Christian writer J.R.R. R. Tolkien's book, The Hobbit. Maybe some of you have read that book. Anyway, uh, Bilbo, who was the hero very early in his adventures, was in the company of a group of dwarves attempting to evade a pack of murderous goblins, some of you may remember. Anyway, he escaped from these creatures only to find himself lost in a labyrinth of underground tunnels and he was lost. There by an underground pool he encountered a malevolent and carnivorous creature named Gollum. Now Bilbo was lost. He could not find his way out. His only hope lay in participating in a game of riddles. You remember this. If he lost and could not answer Gollum's riddles, he was to be devoured by Gollum. If he won, Gollum promised to show him the way out. I guess if you trusted Gollum. In the exchange of riddles, each one became more difficult than the last. The point of this is the last and the most difficult riddle on which rested Bilbo's hope of survival. Here's the riddle. This thing all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Think about that, I'll repeat it. This thing all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Well, when Bilbo could not answer quickly, Gollum advanced for the kill. Bilbo tried to shout, Give me more time! But his throat was dry with fear and he could only croak. Time! Time was the answer he could not bring to mind. And you may remember this this riddle. This good luck and a magical (laughs) ring saved him. Well, I think give me some time may be the call of our harried age. Time is what all of us seem to need more of. Those of us in school or in the workforce never seem to have enough enough time. And even retired friends tell me they've never been so busy as since they've retired. And time is where the Sabbath comes in. The Sabbath offers a a powerful symbol of divine creativity and love. It offers an explanation of human origins and the meaning of life and a sacred time set aside for awareness of the divine and for intimacy with our maker and others, including our families and friends. So in these remarks, I'm going to offer four propositions regarding the significance of Sabbath. First, the Sabbath tells us who we are and reminds us where we came from. Sabbath gives meaning to our origins and, and uh, The scripture that Dr. Jennings uh, uh, read uh, points that out so clearly, those beautiful words of Genesis 2. Second, Sabbath is the divine mark of freedom. We may not think of Sabbath in the same breath as the word freedom, but these words belong together. We'll review the significance of the Sabbath commandment as it relates to freedom in Exodus 20, those familiar words. Third, the Sabbath indicates our redemption. And also how our Redeemer redefined Sabbath in ways that were unacceptable to the religious authorities uh, and priests of his day. We'll go to Mark 2 and Mark 3 as well as John 5 to look at Jesus and his observation of the Sabbath and his Sabbath miracles. Finally, in Hebrews 4, Christ offers us divine rest. A Sabbath rest, which eluded the Hebrews, but still calls to us. And I think that's why we're here today. It still calls to us. First is the proposition that the Sabbath reminds us of who we are and where we came from. Let let me read these words again, these familiar words that Dr. Jennings read. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now what do these spare, elegant, poetic words say to us today? Well I'd I'd say first of all that God through creation is at the beginning of all history including human history here we find no theogony. Now theogony is a word which means a story about how the gods came into existence. Um, And you see this in in ancient uh, uh, stories. God was simply present at the beginning. In keeping Sabbath we are reminded and we celebrate this fact of creation. The phrase in the beginning in Genesis 1 is simple and direct. Although we don't understand how this occurred, we do understand that beginning and God are inseparable. Now it's of interest, I think, that God completed creation with the celebration of Sabbath. In a sense, God created created the Sabbath as the fulfillment and the climax of creation. The Sabbath is thus the crown jewel of creation and was to be celebrated with their creator Creator by all creatures, especially man. This is a different idea of rest than we're accustomed to. Why would man need physical rest when Adam had just emerged from the perfection of creation? It's more than rest, or a different kind of rest. Today we're often tired after six or more days of work. We do need a rest. We may be exhausted. However, if this is all we think of, that God is giving us a day off, we miss the point of this divine gift. This is a different kind of rest. In the Genesis story, human life begins with the Sabbath. It begins in communication with God, open and unfiltered and untouched by sin. This is the Sabbath blessing God wants to give, his presence. Can we even say this is the kind of rest God hungers for? exclusive time spent with us, his children. In addition, this is sacred time he gives us to enjoy with our human friends and families. I so remember the hunger I experienced as a young boy waiting for the presence of my dad at the end of his busy week. Sabbath was a sacred time we could be together. It was a time for reading stories, for celebrating with other young families, and a time to think about creation and the outdoors. Some of these activities were done in motion, walking or hiking for example, and of course eating. I still remember the taste of sweet corn eaten on a summer Sabbath in southern Ohio. For me, this was part of the taste of Sabbath and still still lingers in my memory and almost on my palate. There were some rules and restrictions however We didn't, quote, ride bikes on Sabbath, unless it was an organized special bike ride with my dad, which was always enjoyed. I do remember, I'll have to admit this, anxiously waiting for the end of Sabbath when I was permitted to tear around on my bike an activity not permitted during the Sabbath hours. I'm old enough to to recall preparation for the Sabbath on Friday, including baths, shining of shoes, Preparation of food in advance by my mom. And some of these things we uh, may think are, are unnecessary. But they did make, make clear and delineate this uniqueness and specialness of Sabbath. Amen. And I think we need to recover some of those things. By the way, the first Sabbath was also the first full day Adam and Eve spent together. In a way, this was the first day of their honeymoon. So it must have included physical intimacy. If you, if you should Google the topic sex and the Sabbath, as I did, you may find an article in August 2011 in the Washington Post with Senator Joseph Lieberman, who is an Orthodox Jew, and he may even be a, a priest, I'm not certain. But anyway, he recommended the Sabbath as a day which in- includes time for sexual intimacy. So the Sabbath informs us of our beginnings and of the creation of that first Sabbath day. The Sabbath reminds us that day was God's gift to man, a time for remembering who we are and how we got here, and a day for worship, friendship, and intimacy. Who would want to miss it? Well, second, the Sabbath is a day of freedom. A day of celebrating relief from slavery. And you might not think about it this way, but I'd like to invite you to do it. Listen to the familiar words of Exodus 20, 8 to 11. I'm sure you could recite them easily. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou do labor and all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy maidservant, thy manservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, if you read uh, Exodus 19:4, you get additional meaning to these familiar words, and this is this is the quote. Exodus 19, For ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. How I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Well, the scene is changed from the sinless calm of creation uh, before the fall. God has saved Israel from death by starvation through the intervention of Joseph. And you remember that God gifted Joseph with wisdom, prophetic vision, and administrative talent. During a long captivity, however, Israel lost their special position in Egypt. They were faced with a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and they became oppressed slaves instead of cultural elites, and that's what they were previously. They lost their privileges, they were cruelly abused, they became a hated minority under the lash of the oppressor. You can imagine what happened to the Sabbath and Sabbath observance. Do you really think these Jews were given their rights as a religious minority with requirements for a day off every seventh day? Not very likely. Not very likely. So the fourth commandment was therefore a command of liberty to a nation of slaves. They had forgotten the Sabbath. They'd forgotten what it meant. So the sabbath is reaffirmed in the same prominence it was given at creation. It was reaffirmed in the provision of manna. Now the word manna uh, in Hebrew means what is it? What is it? Well what it was, was a complete menu. A miraculously balanced diet with just the right amount of protein, complex carbohydrates, fat, vitamins, minerals and everything needed. And for 40 years This was Israel's diet. It was a perfect diet. But it also had other inherently miraculous properties which were meant to promote not only health but also to promote understanding of God the giver and I can imagine the diseases they didn't have during those 40 years in the wilderness uh, existing on this perfect diet. Well, it's, what are some of, the, some of the properties it had? Well, one thing it is, it could not be saved for another day. It would spoil if you attempted to hoard it. Uh, there was an egalitarian message, I would say, which came to the, with the manna. Those who gathered much had nothing left over. And those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And you, hear, you read this in Exodus 16, 18. Further, You had to gather your own manna. You couldn't hire somebody else to gather it for you. So there's a message in some of these things. One more thing, however, on Sabbath, the rules changed. There was something different. When the Israelites first went out to pick up their manna on Sabbath, there was none. This must have been an astounding lesson to them about God and a lesson about the Sabbath. This time, the manna harvested the, the day prior did not rot or collect worms. This day, the slaves had forgotten was reestablished by a God who was retraining them as free men and women. They had forgotten what it meant to be free people. Now, Doctor Sigby T- Tonstad, in his book, and I'd recommend this to you. This is an excellent, excellent book published by Andrews Press, The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day. Are you familiar with that book? It's a a marvelous book. It's very scholarly but very readable. And he uses these words. The Israelites knew competition but not community. Coercion but not conviction. The cruel demands of Pharaoh but not the gentle touch of God. Uh, The man who reminded them that the Sabbath was a gift from God a day of freedom from backbreaking toil and oppression, yes, it was that. But even more, it was an invitation to reacquaint themselves with their Maker. So that's my second point about the Sabbath. It is a symbol of freedom. Third, the Sabbath was kept by Jesus, who, as the one who created it, redefined the day in contrast with the prevailing views of the establishment, of the religious establishment. There seems, I think, to be a rule of spiritual life re- when real spiritual vitality declines, men seek to recapture the lost spirit by erecting rules and multitudes of regulations. The trouble is you can never be sure you properly observe these complex rules and there's always doubt as to whether or not you failed in some particular. So the ceremonial law created by the Jewish clergy went way beyond the requirements of the Decalogue and the Law of Moses and made the Sabbath all but impossible to observe and anything but a delight. This will give us some perspective of some incidents I want to review in Mark 2 and 3 and John 5. First Mark 2, 23 to 28. <clears throat> and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And that's wheat fields uh, to us. And his his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto them, what would they say? Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, have you never read what David did when he had need and was in hungered? He and they that were with him how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and did eat the showbread, did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So, late one Sabbath afternoon in the spring of AD 29, Christ and his disciples walked along a wheat field in Galilee. The followers of the way were hungry, and some of them picked the wheat, rubbing the kernels in their hands to remove the hulls and ate it. But there were in the group agents of the Pharisees, no surprise, who immediately complained to Christ that his disciples had violated the ritual rules which forbade the harvesting of grain on the Sabbath. By accusing his disciples, they hoped to put him in the difficult position of defending Sabbath breaking and thus discredit him. Now you might not have thought of this as harvesting uh, grain. But uh, in the Mosaic Law, in Deuteronomy 23, an individual was allowed to pick from his neighbor's vineyard or wheat field as many grapes or as much wheat as he could eat on the spot, but not to take it home with him. So thus the disciples' actions were perfectly legal according to the law and would not have been noted except they occurred on the Sabbath. If you read the Mishnah, which is part of the Talmud, uh, it forbids a Sabbath breaking 11 specific steps in the preparation of bread, including sowing, plowing, reaping, threshing. So the disciples stood accused of both reaping and threshing wheat on the Sabbath according to this legal reasoning, when they picked the grains of wheat and rubbed them in their hands that Sabbath afternoon. Well, Christ knew his audience was quite familiar with this incident in the life of David. But by the question he asked, he suggested that his listeners had missed the point of David's action. He suggested that the sacred laws were ordained for the good of man. And in the event of conflict between them, and man's best interest, the ritual law should be secondary. Christ applied the same principle to the Sabbath, then pointed out that as Creator and the Lord of the Sabbath, He could determine appropriate forms of Sabbath observance. Now let's talk about the Sabbath miracles of Jesus. These Sabbath healing miracles performed by Jesus represent a return to the Sabbath as a day of liberation for creation. One famous example is the story of the man healed at the pool of Bethesda, as recorded in John 5. And you may remember this story. Christ chose the sickest as the object of His healing, a man waiting 38 years for an angel to stir the waters. It is notable that as far as we know, Jesus did not attack the superstition about the angel And the waters. Instead, he proceeded directly to heal the neediest person present. Ellen White points out in Desire of Ages that Jesus longed to heal all the misery he encountered at Bethesda that day, but he did not do so because doing so on the Sabbath would have aroused hostility and prejudice that would prematurely end his work. Well, another Sabbath healing performed by Jesus is found in Mark 3, the next chapter of Mark, Mark 3, 1 to 5. This is the case of a man with a withered hand. And whether the hand was damaged by stroke or by congenital defect he was born with, we don't know. What we do know is that Jesus was being closely observed by his critics. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him verse 2 in response Christ challenged their assumption about the character of God with these words is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath now he actually said more than that is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil to save life or to kill but they held their peace now that is not really a question and I would say that is a challenge that is a shot across the bow, and they knew it. The next surprising verse suggests that Jesus, and I think it is a little surprising, um, uh, Jesus looked around with anger. And when he had looked around about them on anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he, stretched, he said he set unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. So he had made his point right in their face, and then he said, stretch for your hand. Don't you love that? Christ performed these miracles deliberately and consciously, and in this case, with anger. He was aware that he was not only challenging the conventional view of Sabbath, but doing, in a way, doing so in a manner deliberately offensive to the clergy and to the view that God is passive in the face of human need. Um... And verse 6, the next verse, recalls the response of the so-called men of God. And the Pharisees went forth and straightaway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. This was a murderous school of Sabbath observance, I would say. Well, finally, for the fourth point, let's extend our concept of Sabbath rest by considering an important passage in Hebrews 4. We read selectively from Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. There there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So belief is the key here. This is the rest which Christ offers, the easy burden which eluded Israel, but is still available to us. This rest surely includes physical rest. Um, But more than this is the rest which is a consequence of faith in Jesus. Few of us here today need rest from the grinding physical labor, which was the norm when our Lord appealed to those who labor and are heavy laden to enter his rest. In fact, what many of us need Is refreshing physical activity, especially those of us who spend our days in offices peering at computer screens. Uh, What could be less restful? Let's now turn to Isaiah 58, this famous chapter, as we begin to conclude. And specifically Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. Here Isaiah commands us, he commands us to delight in the Sabbath. Following an eloquent description of true religion in the first 12 verses of this chapter, which I recommend you read, verses 13 and 14 is a call to a return to Sabbath observance. 13 and 14. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, not finding thine own pleasure, not speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, to feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So there's a command and there's a promise, and what a promise that is. Isaiah 58:13 and 14. Well, the allegation of the tempter in Eden was that God's requirements were unreasonable demands imposed by a selfish deity ready to keep people enslaved to His will and in the dark about the real nature of life. These lies, these libels, are at the core of the great controversy and led to the Incarnation, the clearest demonstration of God's true nature the life of Christ. But somehow the enemy has to a degree succeeded in transforming the sacred gift of the Creator, this temple and time of Rabbi Heschel, to one more unnecessary and inhibiting demand of a God who seeks automatic obedience and who suppresses individuality and creativity. And some of us have believed these lies. Some of us seek, quote, freedom from this memorial to the generosity and kindness of a God who longs to spend time with us and created a day for doing so. As we think and observe and taste this Sabbath today let's do so with admiration and worship for a deity who longs for us more than I used to long for the person of my overworked dad at the end of a week at the hospital. You know, hospitals are important and my growing up as a little kid, I, I, I'm afraid they were with my children also, because I remember my oldest son, at age three years old, he said, I'm going to my hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so that, they, they were special places. But um, anyway, this is, this is our God, who the moment after he made us, scheduled a weekly date to spend time with his beloved kids. This is a God who himself accepted the consequences of sin in his own body so that we could understand the high stakes in the decisions we daily make. And the Sabbath should be a reminder of that. This is a God who created us real, physical, touchable, embraceable humans. This is a God who made and loves the earth and all the animals he created, including what we so inadequately refer to as the environment. This is a God who desires our physical presence and who plans a real physical resurrection at the end of our earthly sleep. And this is the Sabbath rest to which he calls us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you Dr. Anderson very, very much. Our closing song is 384, Safely Through Another Week Oh, Father in heaven, we're thankful we were here today. We're thankful for this closing hymn that points us to the new Jerusalem and the new earth and your second coming. We're thankful for the message today about the Sabbath that links it all together. May we remember always that you created us, you're with us every step of the way. One day you'll sound the trumpet. And those that have gone to sleep, you will be awakened. And the first thing we'll see is the face of our angel, and then the face of Jesus. May this be our prayer, and as we leave here today, may we remember we are entering the mission field. In Jesus' name, amen.